It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Our approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster this Friday, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. And we begin with government plans to quarantine international travellers. People coming to the UK could be fined £1,000 if they don't self-isolate for two weeks when they arrive. Under the plans, health officials will carry out spot checks at private addresses to ensure travellers are complying. That said, road hauliers and medical officials are going to be exempt, as well as those arriving from the Republic of Ireland. The new rules are not expected to come into force until next month. Yeah, you've got to be tough, haven't you? It's one of those things that only works if people comply, and it's very difficult to police, of course. Meanwhile, the government has agreed to buy 10 million coronavirus antibody tests from pharmaceutical companies Roche and Abbott. Health Secretary Matt Hancock says the tests will be crucial to better understanding the spread of the disease. Knowing that you have these antibodies will help us to understand more in the future if you are at lower risk of catching coronavirus of dying from coronavirus and of transmitting coronavirus. And those tests are going to be rolled out in phases starting next week and offered to health and social care staff first. Yeah, clearly a a point at which they hope they're actually going to unlock the possibility of being able to get a much better sense, really, of how widespread the virus is. That's a, a crucial issue. But this is, of course, Mental Health Awareness Week this week. And it's fair to say that at a time when our physical well-being is at the forefront of most people's minds, concerns about our psychological issues may not be top of the agenda. But of course, one clear aspect of the lockdown is the damage it can do to our minds, whether because we're forced to be on our own, or we're forced to be with people we don't like or are abusive, or because of the threats the pandemic places, of course, on our future incomes and our prospects. Well, one MP who's been a prominent campaigner on mental health issues, and especially involved in trying to raise awareness of such problems in people who've served in the armed forces, is Tobias Elwood, Conservative MP for Bournemouth East, who joins us now. Tobias, welcome to the programme. Thank you for being with us. Um, Let me pick up, first of all, on, I think, an issue which I think is is pretty clear, which is that mental health was a huge taboo until... Pretty recently, it was almost, uh, you you couldn't really talk about it, it wasn't respectable, it wasn't something people ever wanted to admit. Has that changed, do you think? I think it is changing, but only because there's been a massive conscious effort to uh, affect that change. I I think of my time in the armed forces, you have a knee injury, you have something wrong, physically wrong with you, 
you can put your hand up and say, I need to sort myself out, and off you go, and nobody thinks anything of it. But you dare to raise your hand and say, you know, I've got a mental health issue, there's something wrong with my mind. You know, the stigma attached to that. You know, there was this, people were apprehensive about, would this affect my career prospects? Would I be, you know, labeled and so forth? And we're changing that. We're saying, actually, that if you intervene on a very early stage, you can fix your mind. And actually, it affects more of us than you think. About one-third of us in our lifetimes will have a mental health challenge, a major mental health challenge. So we are breaking down the stigma, but we've still got a long way to go. Uh, and, and Tobias, you have uh, faced some very traumatic experiences that you've spoken out about, even outside the armed forces. Your brother was killed in the Bali bombing in 2002. You were involved in trying to save the life of the policeman who was stabbed outside Parliament in 2017. What has all of that taught you about dealing with these sorts of stressful situations? Um, I tend not to speak about that particular issue. I, I was more affected by the loss of my brother. Uh, he was killed in the Bali bombing in 2002. And... Uh, that was very personal to me, obviously, because it was my brother who suddenly disappeared. He was just caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I didn't seek support after that. I didn't think I needed to. I had been in the army myself. Um, I was strong. I was capable. And I was just going to you know, suck it up and, and deal with it. And it wasn't until many uh, months later that I realized that uh, actually there's nothing wrong with uh, going to talk to people about it and share your thoughts. Uh, and, and seek help. And I'd encourage anybody who's got, uh, you know, any any uh, challenges from a mental health perspective, please, there are many good places that you can gain help. And in relation to what we're going through now with COVID-19, you know, there is, uh, it's having a massive impact on an entire generation. I think you touched on it in your introduction, particularly the young, just like, you know, the Second World War or these major events, they will scar an entire, you know, age group. And we need to watch out for that because, it may incubate, it may stay with them internally and they don't express themselves. So we have to work hard to make sure we provide the help that's needed. Yeah, and I mean, are you are you finding that perhaps in talking with your constituents? Do you find people who are stuck in these sort of situations who aren't really getting the help? Because, of course, the NHS is almost entirely focused, I guess, at the moment on physical help. And that really is the, the nub of the issue right now. We are so focused on tackling COVID-19. You know, our hospitals have been redesigned to make sure that the wards are empty so we have that capacity there. But ultimately, we then pushed other operations uh, and, and other focuses away. It's so important that now we're better understanding and adapting to this new normal that we pick up uh, the support that's, that's needed, not least for those requiring mental health support. So what do we need to do looking ahead then? Because I'm seeing reports from the US, the Wellbeing Trust, warning of 75,000 deaths of despair from suicide, drug and alcohol abuse over in Italy, where they're slightly more advanced in terms of their lockdown and their coronavirus crisis. Uh, the Order of Psychologists found eight in 10 Italians said they needed psychological support. So what could we be doing to look ahead and to fix these problems essentially before they arise? Uh, well, there must be this national conversation. In the same way, within the armed forces fraternity, we've had a mental health strategy to break that stigma that everybody can talk at different levels about their mental health. So we need to do and bear in mind that uh, it is absolutely understandable that during this critical time, it will affect people in different ways. And you should, if you do feel that you're effective, step forward and then needs money to be provided for it. What we can't do is you know, open up our schools, open up the economy, do all these other things like that, and then finally turn to the mental health issues. 
This needs to be up front and centre, part of that package of reform of getting our country going again. Well, let me ask you, I mean, you're a member of the party that is the government. Um, Is the government doing enough on this? Well, we are flagging this up, and this is quite interesting as to how the government is kept busy at the moment. I would actually say that there are four challenges that this government is facing. There's the day-to-day running of the of, of, of the country, which is in itself always challenging. There's the acute uh, emergency that we're dealing with of COVID-19. Then there's the impending recession that we know is already has arrived in some sense, but it's going to get larger and more challenging. And then finally, there's something wider, which you know you, you speak on your program occasionally, which is the geopolitical change that we're seeing uh, with the clash of ideologies between China and the West, and that's for the longer term. But ultimately, you cannot allow the mental health issues to get lost in all of that. It's so important that the messaging of the strategy of recovery from COVID-19 absolutely uh, has, uh, in the, as part of it, the process of making sure we look after the mental health and well-being of the nation. Part of the reason why the lockdown had to be liberated in a little bit is because we were already seeing signs of friction, signs of, of problems from mental health capacity with people being locked away. And that is a factor that you have to bear in mind, even though you know you might actually be fueling further um, spread of, of the virus itself. It's a very difficult conundrum for the government to face. Well, well, let, let me ask you about the money side of things. We've seen a huge amount of cash splashed around as a result of the coronavirus to shore up these businesses, to make sure people aren't losing their jobs. The government has given uh, £4.2 million to mental health charities. That's alongside five already announced. It pales in comparison, though, when you look at the other funding that has been given. Is, is the government giving enough money to these charities to be able to help them with the excess demand that we know is going gonna, is gonna to come about? I mean, I can't make the judgment on the actual figure, but I I hear what you say. We need to make sure that they are properly funded. If you don't look after these people now, the actual cost to the state will be more in the long term. So it's in the interest of the government to make sure that we look after, as I say, particularly focused on this younger generation. You know, we have this new schooling process, online schooling, but we know that in many cases it's only, uh, you know, 10, 15 percent of the actual uh, 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 children are, are actually doing the education itself. The rest of them are not getting the attention they need. They're not um, getting the education they're required. So there'll be months and months where they've been denied that support, that uh, educational support, and that itself will have knock-on not consequences as well. Well, you mentioned the, the generation issue, and I think perhaps it is that in a way, because it seems to me from personal experience that younger people almost are more willing to talk about these sort of problems and confront them. And don't forget, in the, in, there's an awful lot of, of people of the older generations who are more on their own, more perhaps vulnerable, perhaps more unable to talk about this now. Uh, you're absolutely right. We saw this in the armed forces as well. When we introduced new measures to say, please, if you have a mental health issue, put your hand up, we'll sort you out, get you back into the line. You know, the younger generation coming through can accept that as the new normal. The people that we had trouble with were the ones that, uh, you know, with the Falkland uh, Islands you know, campaign era. If that, you know, going back to the 80s and, and, and 90s, the ones that had left the armed forces already and simply never wanted to talk about it. They were never encouraged to. And in fact, they were told to sort of, you know, just you know, grab a man suit was the phrase I can remember, you know, zip it up, just sort yourself out rather than the parity we have today between mental and physical illness. And the same applies in civilian world as well. We need to make sure that children and parents and so forth can look out for this 
and know that there is help to be provided should they wish it. And there is not a stigma uh, attached to this. There's no shame at all in saying, I need to talk to somebody about it. I didn't enjoy what happened. I'm, I'm affected by it. I'm haunted by the, these events. You know, please, can I, uh, please, can I speak out? Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. We start with the Prime Minister wanting to end the UK's reliance on Chinese imports. According to the Times, Boris Johnson's ordered civil servants to identify the country's key economic vulnerabilities, drawing up plans for vital medical supplies and other strategic imports. The paper reports this might feed into the UK's post-Brexit rules on state aid. Interesting how this is something that affects the whole uh, coronavirus story where we're still bringing in products, but it also looks further afield and it's about Britain's pledge in the world and how it wants to sit after the transition period ends. And the one unsayable word in this, I imagine, is Huawei, but I'm sure we will hear that at some point. (laughs) Meanwhile, carers. Now, Britons have been clapping, of course, for carers each Thursday to applaud their efforts. The appreciation, however, does seem to stop there because average pay for new positions in the social care sector has risen by just 20 pence to £9.50 per hour since before the UK's virus outbreak. That's according to the recruitment website Indeed. The analysis shows around 40% of care posts nationwide pay below the real living wage. In London, the number's even higher, with pay for social care workers coming in 70% lower than the real living wage. Mm. And then two doctors preparing to sue the UK government over its guidance to frontline NHS staff and social care workers on personal protective equipment, the ongoing saga that is. Law firm Binman says government advice to reuse some protective clothing goes against guidance from the World Health Organization and breaches health and social care workers' human rights. That could be very embarrassing for the government as that plays out. Yeah, the uh, the technical and, p- and personal protective equipment issue, I think, just rolls on and on. Anyway, it is our special on mental health today, so let's get back to that subject. Joining us now is Alex Kennedy, Head of Campaigns and Public Affairs at Rethink. Alex, welcome to the programme. Thank you for being with us. Now, this week, mental health awareness is, is the theme. We've already been talking to the Conservative MP Tobias Elwood about that and his experiences of what it means in terms of actually taking this kind of issue seriously. But what do you think are the biggest risks to people, people's mental health beyond their health and finances at the moment? Um, well, thank you. I, I think there are sadly quite, quite a few different risks. And as with this pandemic in general, it, it's affecting all areas of everyone's life at the moment. Um, and so I think in terms of mental, mental health is partly about 
uh, the clinical support that you get, but it's also about social support that you get. People, you know, the employ your employment situation, your living situation at home, and all of those different things are being quite profoundly affected for people, uh, and and therefore mental, you know, people's mental health is taking an impact in a lot of different ways, which will which depend a lot on on somebody's individual living living situation. But I mean, if you look at the impact overall, you know, on the nation as a whole, almost half of people, the ONS numbers are saying that over, almost half of people are saying they've got high anxiety, whereas just a few months ago that was only 21%. So, you know, that's 25 million people who are saying that their anxiety levels are high. And similarly, you know, there's, there's been a mass, you know, more than doubling of the number of people who are saying that they've got low happiness. So, so there's a wide impact, but I think, but as a charity, our focus is especially on those who are more severely affected by mental illness, you know, in the first place, or maybe a, a risk of having a kind of a, a severe episode of mental illness, and for them, the, the impact can be even more profound. So short of reaching out to a charity like yours, what can people do to keep a check on their mental health, avoid spiralling at a time when a lot of us are staying at home, a lot of us are working from home with uh, people that we might not see for the majority of the day, uh, and, and many of us may also be feeling anxious about the future and what it holds? Well, I think there's, there's, sort of, there's general, different. what works for different people will, will depend, but there's general sort of advice and tips uh, on well-being in terms of trying to stick to a routine, um, making sure to you know sleep well, try and eat healthily, try and get some exercise. And it is very welcome that throughout the period of lockdown, the government has said that it's allowed to that you are allowed to go outside for reasons of you know um, exercise. And actually, probably less well known is the fact that you are always allowed to go outside for reasons of your for other health reasons. So if you are somebody who's got a serious mental illness and sitting and watching, you know, you live near the seaside and want to sit and watch the sea and that really helps calm your anxiety. That has actually always been allowed. Um, so, so there are lots of things that individuals um, can do, but that's, but, but that's not to underestimate that, that you know, that, that people will still be getting into difficulties and people will also need sort of support from clinical services too. And that's not always been as, as easy to get when, when there's a pandemic going on. One thing I, I wanted to bring up with, with you, Alex, is about social media and all this, because people, uh, a lot of younger people particularly, but older people as well, depend on it perhaps as the way of connecting even more when they're on lockdown uh, than they did before. Um, but, and some people say, well, it can be very good for mental health, others rather less so for all sorts of reasons. What, what do you think? I think what, what we hear is a very, a very, it, that it depends very much on the individual, and it depends on very much on how it's being used. And I think that's true, you know, even in normal times, um, there are some people who find social media to be um, uh, distracting or negative influence. But, but lots of people, um, you know, who are more severely affected by mental illness might find that it's difficult to leave the house when they're unwell. And so they've, in a sense, you know, there are, there are lots of people who have got mental illness who have been socially isolated by their condition um, you know, well before this pandemic started. And for some of those people, being able to keep in contact through social media, but also through other sort of digital channels 
has for a long time been a very important and very positive thing. And I think that's something that a lot of us are finding now for ourselves. Um, at the same time, obviously, it can be negative. It can, you know, it can become a bit of a, a, a wormhole that we can fall into, sort of constantly scrolling or looking, looking at things that aren't so good for our mental health. So I think it's about kind of recognising what works for you and, and when it's starting to become negative. And what about the funding that the government is putting up for all of this? I'm seeing 4.2 million uh, for mental health charities announced uh, today, I believe, alongside 5 million that was previously announced. Is that going to be enough to, to meet the demand? It was a question I was putting to Tobias Elwood in the first part of the programme. Uh, but, but I'd really like to hear from a charity what the response to this level of money is. Well, I, I think it's very welcome that the government is recognising that this um, risks becoming a mental health epidemic as well as a physical health epidemic um, pandemic and that funding is going to be needed and particularly you know speaking as somebody who works at a charity I know that our organisation but lots and lots of charities across the whole sector are going you know are struggling it's more difficult at the moment you know the, the London Marathon and all these fundraising opportunities just haven't been taking place um, I don't think anyone thinks but it's incredibly welcome that, that money is being made available, including that recent announcement of £4.2 million. I don't think anyone thinks that that's all that's needed, um, but either either in terms of for charities or more widely for mental health services. It is very welcome that the, the recent announcement, you know, last year there was an announcement of new money for the NHS and the long-term plan, and a, a a big focus within that actually was for mental health services and particularly for mental health services for people with more severe mental illness, which have been chronically underfunded. It's going to take a lot of work now to even make sure that the existing you know, plans are delivered, um, and particularly at a time when all the, all the indicators are suggesting that need is going to be increasing and it's more difficult to deliver services if services, both because of the pressure on the NHS and also trying to deliver them in a socially distanced way. So money, um, not just for charities, but actually for NHS mental health services too, is going to be a key part of that. Alex, I mean, a long way back, I mean, back into the 2010 government, the coalition government there, they made, Nick Clegg made uh, a statement that mental and physical health would be on the same level in the NHS, that they would have the same facilities, there'd be no distinction in that way. Is there any sign of that happening, do you think? Um, well, I think that was that was an important sort of commitment of principle, and I think all political parties have signed up to that idea ever since. And, and I think I saw that Sir Keir Starmer had sort of uh, mentioned again that that, that parity of esteem this week. Um, so I think it's a really important principle to hold on to. I think it's a bit of a difficult thing to define. What we do know is that it's, we are very far from being there yet, um, you know, that, that lots of people, the experience of lots of people with more severe um, mental health conditions has actually been being, that they've been trying, even in better times before this pandemic, trying to get help, often getting told that they're too unwell for the um, health care that you can get either from your GP or from IAPT, so services for kind of people from, with mild to moderate conditions. They're too unwell for those. They don't fit the criteria but they're also not ill enough for the secondary mental health services, the specialist services that they actually need. Um, so, unfortunately, we're a long way. And, you know, with, until very recently, there, were, there weren't waiting list targets 
either. So there's so a lot of people have been left really fighting and failing to get the help that they need for their conditions. There is this recognition now in the long-term plan that that needs to change, but we're only at the start of that journey and uh, we can't let that be derailed by uh, COVID-19. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio. 